U.S. veterans deserve access to quality health care. Yet delivering that treatment proves challenging across our nation's most rural communities. I'm David Himmel. Join me on November 20th for a special branded episode of Pulse Check from our sponsor, Philips. We'll explore the telehealth technologies that are closing the distance gap between rural vets and their clinicians. Technologies that could one day be leveraged by all U.S. healthcare consumers, no matter where they live. Hello, Pulse Check listeners. I'm Dan Diamond. We began a new miniseries on Veterans Day, on the future of the Veterans Administration. Check out the first three episodes if you haven't yet. We've spoken to a longtime VA social worker, Andrea Plate, for episode one. Former Secretary of the VA, David Shulkin, sat down with Arthur for episode two. And the most recent episode was with a vet who uses the VA, J.R. Wilson. To round out these conversations, we wanted to talk to a senator who provides congressional oversight. And that's why today you'll hear from Senator Tester. Helping me tell this story is my colleague Arthur Allen. All right, are we on? Arthur's covered the VA for the past three years. He's broken a ton of news about the agency. So should we start or? I'll let Arthur take it from here. We talked to Senator Tester in his office. He's the ranking member of the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee. It's a pretty unified committee that works really, really well together thus far. He's been there since 2007. He's a Democrat, uh, but he's from a very red state, and he's pretty moderate. If there's one thing that veterans do uh, is it brings people together. I think people appreciate, regardless what your political leanings are, people who sacrifice uh, themselves and their family sacrifice for this country. He's a colorful figure. It was a train wreck, uh, and that's probably being kind. With a lot of uh, stories. This is insane. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's, it's, it's crazy. And uh, has a reputation usually as a straight shooter, except when he's talking about the massive bison head mounted high on the wall behind his desk and how it got there. That bison, I jumped on his back and I cut his throat with a knife as he was running across the prairies. No, you didn't. <laughs> That's correct. I did not. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, a friend of my scheduler. Got it. And as you can tell, you need to have pretty high ceilings to, to mount that big boy and uh, didn't have a place to put it in their house. And I said, you know what? It'll fit real well in my office. I think you either have to have a really nice lodge or a senator's yeah. office. That's true. <laughs> the bison is named Ramon, by the way. Yeah, it's Ramon. Ramon? Ramon? Yeah. Tester also has a big photograph on another wall of his farm back in north-central Montana. That's a shot of the farmstead. Uh-huh. This here's a shot. The farmstead, see those trees just off to the left of the duckfoot tillage tool? He grows beans and grains there. Sometimes lentils, oil seeds, and hay. It's all organic. And a lot of Tester's state is rural. That poses access problems for many of the veterans he represents. Those access problems are really one of the big things that the VA is wrestling with these days. Here's our conversation. Is it a relief to have a journalist ask you about something other than impeachment? <laughs> Look, it's, that action's been going on over at the House, so uh, it's good. We, we, we really uh, have been focused on a, a lot of stuff, a lot of veteran stuff, since I'm ranking member in the Senate Veterans Affairs Committee, but, but a lot of other things, too, that uh, like uh, uh, farmer suicide and those kind of things. That, that I think are really important. But we've, we've got a number of bills, appropriations bills we're working on. Um, but, but the bottom line is, is that I think a lot of folks on the Senate side, particularly the leadership, I should say, 
is using impeachment for an excuse and not doing work. And uh, we've got a lot of work to do over here. We've got a lot of policies that need to be voted on from things like funding for tribal colleges to funding for community health centers that, that impact everyday Americans every day. And uh, we tend not to do much of that, which is unfortunate, but uh, hopefully that will change in the future. Well, what's the, I mean, can you sort of briefly describe what the Senate Committee for Veterans does? I mean, what's, or what it's supposed to do? Well, I mean, I think its main job is oversight, oversight of the VA, uh, whether you're talking about health care, housing, educational benefits, whatever it may be, to make sure that this country lives up, that the VA is living up to the promises that this country has made to our veterans. That's its main job. And so to do that oversight effectively, you have to give them the tools to be able to do their job, whether that's tools like dollars or whether that's tools like um, making sure they have the ability to get rid of bad actors, uh, whether that's uh, whatever it be, whether it's passing legislation that allows uh, veterans, particularly in rural areas, to access the private sector. Um, all those things are important, but but I think the main thing is oversight, making sure they're doing the job that I think the, every American expects uh, the VA to do to live up to the promises. These folks uh, sign up uh, voluntarily uh, since the Vietnam War has been voluntarily, and they go out and they put their lives on the line, and they do it in incredibly difficult conditions. Sometimes they come back with wounds you can see. Sometimes they come back with wounds you can't see. In either case, uh, we need to make sure that we do right by them. Do you feel that we're on the right path to, you know, fix the VA, and does it? What needs fixing, in your view? Well, I think I think we're on the right path. It's just not going quick enough. I mean, I think it needs to move much, much quicker. And let me give you an example. We're short about forty-three thousand employees in the VA. Many of these are docs and nurses, medical professionals that the VA depends upon to to give treatment to our veterans. We've done a lot of things, including loan forgiveness, and we've bumped that loan forgiveness number up to a pretty significant amount, uh, yet we still have far too many vacancies. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's number one. You get those vacancies filled, I think we're uh, a giant, giant step forward to making sure that veterans can get the health care in particular that they've, they've earned. Uh, but those vacancies have been around a while, and they continue to languish. And uh, uh, like I said, uh, you know, I, I, we've given them the ability to give loan forgiveness. We've given them the ability to match what the private sector's paying doctors. Um, but uh, it doesn't seem to be going... Uh, and I'm talking about the hiring of those folks. It doesn't seem to be happening like it like it needs to. Do you? Um, we talked to a vet yesterday who's also uh, kind of a counselor at a um, DAV uh, station out in California or DAV, you know, um, center. And he was saying that he, you know, he's pretty. He gets all his care at the VA. Yep. He's 100 percent disabled. Likes it, um, but you know, feels that. And likes the direction the VA is going, but mm-hmm. thinks the legislative process is too slow and sluggish. Would you agree with that? You know, I will tell you that, and I don't say this because I'm a legislator, but the la- in the last year we've done an incredible amount of legislative work. It's all been done in a bipartisan way. Johnny Isaacs, the chair of the committee, myself as ranking member, we've stepped up. Uh, we've gotten bills passed there. People said there's no way you can get it passed. That being said, uh, I think we could do better on oversight. I don't mm-hmm. think we're doing mm-hmm. enough oversight, enough active oversight, uh, enough critical oversight 
to make sure the vet, the VA is doing their job. We've we've really uh, whether it's not, whether it's just raw dollars, or whether it's giving them flexibility in hiring. It, the list goes on and on and on. We've done a lot. Uh, we need the VA to step up in a lot of different areas. Now, I'll just tell you, I talked about the hirings. Uh, we got Blue Water Navy folks out there. The, the Congress has acted. The courts have acted. They still don't have the benefits they've gotten. Uh, this is a, a group who, um, they were in the Blue Water Navy, meaning they weren't in, in the rivers in Vietnam, but they were still exposed to yep. Agent Orange. They right? were offshore, and they were exposed to Agent Orange. They drank it. They wore it, just like the folks on the ground did. And they have the same kind of problems that folks that served on land did. And uh, there's been a stay put on them by the Trump administration, so they're not getting the benefits. And uh, and they're trying to outlive them, literally. I mean, these are Vietnam vets that are 60, 70, 80 mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. And so they effectively are doing that. That's wrong, just flat wrong. Uh, issues around caregivers. Uh, Congress has acted. We've given them the, legis- uh, the, the policy to be able to help folks who come back. Uh, from war uh, with problems that their loved ones take care of them much cheaper than putting them mm-hmm. much better quality of life too I might add but much cheaper than putting them in a in a rest home or something like that oftentimes that caregiver has to give up their their paying job to be able to take care of the loved one and so we passed a stipend nobody's going to get rich on it but it'll help keep the wolves away from the door when it comes to paying bills uh, and it, it's not implemented. And by the way, this applies to the, the folks pre-9-11. This applies to the Vietnam veteran mm-hmm. folks, okay? Mm-hmm. The folks that need it, really mm-hmm. need it. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they're they're blaming that on an IT system. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and, and so I think from a veteran standpoint, like the veteran you interviewed, uh, they're going to say, look, the system – by the way, I hear from veterans all the time. The VA is where they get their health care. Once they get through the door, they love it. And I agree I agree with them. I think that the VA does provide great health care once you get through the door. But they look at that, and they look at their Blue Water Navy folks. They look at the folks with caregivers. They look at the folks that are in areas where the staffing isn't up to snuff. And, of course, they're going to blame us. And we'll take part of the blame. Mm-hmm. But I think part of the blame also goes on the VA itself. Sure. More in a moment. Look, whether or not you're a 73-year-old Vietnam veteran or you're a 32-year-old veteran of Afghanistan, you have a lot in common, right? You've both sacrificed a great deal for your country. Both these veterans, probably their families have carried a big burden. And when it comes to healthcare, you've got two things going against you. You have the tyranny of time and you have the tyranny of distance. One-third of the nearly 9 million veterans who receive health care from the VA live in remote rural areas across the country. I'm David Himmel. Join me and two healthcare experts on November 20th for a special branded episode of Pulse Check from our sponsor, Philips. We'll explore how telehealth is breaking down the barriers to health care for America's heroes. You know, one of our focus of this whole series that we're doing is the Mission Act and and also the modernization of the VA through the, the Cerner um, EHR purchase. Mm-hmm. Um, can, are you worried about the current direction of the Mission Act? I, I mean, do you what are you seeing, what are you hearing in the field about how it's moving forward? So the VA um, had a year to put it into effect. We did that intentionally because Choice Act was such a train wreck and we implemented it way too quickly. That's one thing we learned from that. And... Uh, so, so the Mission Act, from my perspective, has gone pretty well. Um, mm-hmm. As far as the part about veterans being able to access care outside the VA when uh, when the VA doesn't offer it, 
And I've gotten a lot of really good comments from folks who've called me up and said, thank you very much. I just got my heart fixed that I'd had a problem with for years. The truth is, is that I did it through passing the Mission Act, but I really didn't do it. It was the VA that got that implemented mm-hmm. and, and, and got that, that bill done. So on that side of the equation, I think they've done uh, as good as I could hope for, quite frankly. Uh, and they need a pat on the back for it. The caregivers component of the Mission Act is I would not give them a pat mm-hmm. on the back for mm-hmm. that. They, they need to step up and get that job done. I, I heard you many times um, during committee meetings talk about the, the predecessor to the Mission Act, and the Mission Act is a way of getting access, improving access for veterans um, to services outside the VA when, they, when the VA can't provide them for one reason or another. The Choice Act was the earlier version of that. I heard you criticize it often. So, I mean, have you heard from any of the veterans who were frustrated or for one reason or another, or their doctors weren't getting paid when they went to see them, where you've, you've seen an improvement sort of in a, in a personal context? Yeah. On the Choice Act, it was a train wreck. Uh, and that's probably being kind. The third-party provider didn't pay the bills. Uh, and if you if you don't pay your providers, you don't pay your docs, that's what the providers are, don't expect to be able to utilize those folks. they got to pay their bills too, and they're not going to come back. And so we heard a lot of complaints. I'm going to tell you, my, my casework for the state of Montana, uh, we have fully one-third of my staff working on casework, and, and that was all a result of the Choice Act. It's just... It was uh, it was unbelievably miserable uh, for the veterans, and they passed that along. I will tell you on Mission Act, and, and I, I'm approaching this from a Montana perspective, all right, where the third-party provider is, is Tri-West, and they've done a good job. There's another provider uh, whose name escapes me that's doing uh, other parts of the country that uh, – they bid on it, and now they're negotiating the bid to be higher. And, and so th- that's the red flags are flying all over my head on this one because we may be in the same kind of boat with that one if, unless they step up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, 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 but once again, I can't, I can't manage that. I can give you oversight. But in the end, it's the VA that has to step up and say, look, guys, you came to the table. You made the bid. You're going to fulfill your obligation. And this isn't a cost-plus contract. This was a bid contract. Right. So get right. after it and do uh, it. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about the Cerner acquisition, which is supposed to modernize the VA's electronic health records? And, and, and in particular, it's, it's supposed to make sure that the exchange of records between these doctors that veterans are seeing outside the VA go back to the VA and vice versa so that, um, you know, that's good care coordination. Um, how convinced are you at this point that it's going to provide this seamless, that's the word that's always used, <laughs> data exchange, you know, that yep. you're supposed to do? And this is a program that was used by the DOD that the VA has been on. So this seamless not only applies between the private sector and mm-hmm. the VA, but also active military and the VA. We've been talking about active military and VA seamless transition of electronic health records since I got here 12 years ago. Uh, we've had a number of hearings. We've had a number of meetings. It's never happened. Um, I will tell you when I talk about oversight, uh, this is one of those areas we need more oversight on. Mm-hmm. And uh, there will be a new chairman of, of the Veterans Affairs Committee. Um, and I say that because I think we're kind of winding down this year with, with Johnny. He's going to retire at the end of the year and go back to Georgia, who's been a great friend and a great ally of veterans. 
but I'm going to be encouraging the next chairman, uh, probably Senator Moran, but mm. whoever mm-hmm. it is, to to really step up so we can do some active oversight on the electronic record. We're putting tens of millions, if not more than that, mm-hmm. into this electronic health record. And and I've through through my state legislative days and through back here, I have seen. Uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars being spent with no delivery of any product in the end. Uh, we're not even close to where we need to be with EHR because they're 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 putting the electronic health record system in place. But we've got to make sure they're 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 meeting in, uh, meeting the needs of the veterans. So once it's in place, that it's going to do it. Um, there's transfer of electronic records now, and you're right. There's there, there's a number of things that are concerning about it. Number one, they have to get the proper health care. They can't get um, doubled up on treatments unnecessarily, uh, and that that information needs to be kept secure so that it's not all over mm-hmm. the globe. Right, right. That's become a big issue. Um, so Senator Moran Moran was. Um, kind of wanted to, uh, he, he was kind of a holdout on the part of the Mission Act that uh, involving the community access standards for vets. And um, I know that in, in Dr. Shulkin's book, he talks about this and his concern that if you make them sort of, depending on how you uh, tweak these demands, you could end up sort of draining money out of the That's VA. Correct. Absolutely so correct. does that concern you going forward with him yeah. possibly being the the, the chairman, unless you are. The <laughs> Look, uh, Senator Moran, uh, if he's chairman, it'll be for at least the next year, uh, depending on how the elections go past that. Jerry and I have always had a great relationship. We've worked on a number of things together. We actually serve on every committee together. He serves on the same committees I do as a Republican and I as a Democrat. Uh, we have a good relationship, uh, uh, a joking but serious relationship. Uh, it does Absolutely, my eyeballs and my ears are always open to that that kind of stuff. And uh, but we will continue to work together to find the best thing. Secretary Shulkin's exactly correct. Uh, Bernie Sanders warned of this uh, several years ago that if this stuff isn't done right, it will drain resources and decay the VA to a point where it, it won't be what the veterans need. And I go back to your point and the veteran that you visited with. Uh, veterans, once they get through the door, they like the VA healthcare. It's darn good healthcare, and it, it it does the job. I hear from some veterans, but rarely, that the VA hasn't met their needs. Most of them, the VA has stepped up. And by the way, I've met the folks on the ground to provide that healthcare. They are the best in the world. And uh, whether it's docs, nurses, they are dedicated to veterans. And I think if we ever lose that. Uh, number one, it's going to cost a whole lot more. And yeah. number two, I, I think the veterans' uh, benefits will be reduced because of that cost. The VA is uh-huh. pretty darn effective. Their administrative costs are pretty low. Uh, we need to make sure that they're strong moving forward, and my ears and eyes will always be open to somebody who wants to deplete the VA. I mean, it's not like uh, the healthcare system outside the VA is uh, perfect and well all these put. things that we criticize the VA, for, that the VA gets criticized. For. That's correct. No, I mean, look, uh, <clears throat> it's, uh, there's, there's long ways outside the VA. Mm-hmm. There's just no doubt about it. I think that what we can have with the Mission Act implemented properly is the best of both worlds, where vets, if they can't get it in the VA, uh, it can go outside and get it in a timely manner outside the VA. And I think that's where it's at. And I, as I said before, and I don't want to to beat this, but m- most 
most veterans really, really like the VA. And if they have a choice, they'll go VA way. Do you think that Dr. Shulkin did a good job? And was it a good idea to fire him? I like him. Um, I thought he was a good guy. It's not that we didn't have our disagreements. and It's not that we didn't come in and discuss things in a very, very straightforward, some would call maybe a heated way. But I think he was driven by what was in the best interest of the veterans. And uh, I think it was unfortunate that uh, that he was fired. Um, do you have a sense of what's going, I mean, a sense of what's changed at the VA since he left with Secretary Wilkie there? Well, I'll give you one example. It comes off a FOIA that was done by a veteran down in Texas. Uh, uh, before Shulkin was getting ready to leave, uh, there were three presumptive illnesses that he was going to declare as presumptives because of Agent Orm's exposure. Um, hypothyroidism, Parkinsonism, uh, bladder cancer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he was told he couldn't do that by mm-hmm. Mick Mulvaney, who was then the head of OMB and is now the chief of staff for President Trump. I think that they said he couldn't do it because it, it couldn't afford it. Look, taking care of our veterans or cost of war, I think Shulkin was right. He was absolutely right, 100% right. And and these folks um, deserve that health care because, quite frankly, they got exposed to Agent Orange and it's causes some medical problems. And uh, so I, I, I like Shulkin. Was Shulkin perfect? No. Was McDonald perfect? No. Was Shinseki perfect? No. Was Pete perfect? No. But they were all pretty darn good men. What about Wilkie? I like Wilkie. I, I think he's uh, trying to do the best he can do uh, in an administration that uh, – uh, even though he denies this, I, I think oftentimes tells him uh, that he can't do certain things. Do you have a sense of whether the Mar-a-Lago three are still calling the shots at VA, or or I did don't. he did Wilkie get him off his back? Uh, I don't. And if there's one thing that I would be critical of Shulkin is that he he didn't talk to us about that. Uh, right. Interesting. Uh, which would have been helpful. Uh, but I certainly hope not. Uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they were, but I certainly hope not. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is they weren't elected to anything. They weren't confirmed to anything. And, uh, and it's fine to get outside information, but they shouldn't be calling the shots on anything. Yeah, I was surprised. And, uh, I don't know if you've read his book, but he the very, fir- the very first part of his book, he, I mean, they brought him in, these guys, and apparently um, – Ike Perlmutter contacted him several times a day during some periods, which is, I found this is surprising. insane. I'm just I'm just telling you, it's 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 crazy. Um, and 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 you know these are the guys that I think want to privatize the VA too. And and so uh, he was in a no win situation. And and the fact is, there's no accountability with those guys. They're outside. They're from the outside in. Uh, raising heck and doing whatever they want to do, and there's no accountability to it. There's no, uh, there's there's no blame to be placed when things go upside down. It's the wrong way to run a democracy. I'll just tell you that, and uh, I, I can't be more firm on that. If they want to, if they want to run the VA, they ought to apply for a job. Mm-hmm. Do you? I mean, do you? Um, you're talking about the inside um, the oversight issue. I mean, is there a way, like, if let's say you were chairman, I mean, would you try to do more oversight of this kind of internal processes at the VA, or is that is that something that's just really hard to do from Congress? Uh, no, I, I think it's Congress's job in every area. 
So, I mean, I don't, it, it may be hard to do, but it doesn't mean you don't do it. I haven't talked, I haven't thought about this at all until mm-hmm. you just brought it up. But, but I will tell you what I've done in the past when I've been in a leadership position is I try to empower the other people on the committee. I think there's enough room for oversight where everybody can have a piece of the pie. And uh, we'd find out where different committee members' interests are is from an oversight perspective. And then we'd probably prune off three to five people in subcommittees, and uh, whether they're formal or informal, and have them do oversight and report back to the full committee every quarter. Mm-hmm. On privatization, uh, the the Wilkie and, and the administration, I think, have said they're not going to privatize the VA. Um, multiple at, times, yes. Multiple times. Um, do you trust this administration to keep its word? I trust Wilkie, and, and, and I hope that trust isn't violated. Um, Robert Wilkie, you know, I read a lot by body language, and I read about what they say, and I read if they're looking in your eyes when they're talking to you about tough subjects, and he's he doesn't have the body language that tells me he's lying. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I, I trust him on it, and I, I will tell you that him, as well as other secretaries, as well as other senators, if, if, if there is an effort for, uh, uh, for privatization, hopefully they're pushing back and pushing back hard, and hopefully they let us know that. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think, that <clears throat> I think there's plenty of people on the committee on both sides of the aisle that would support not privatizing the VA. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this before, but I uh, just your do you have a concern that it could sort of happen? I'm going to say accidentally, but that if accidentally intentionally, yeah, kind yeah. of. No, yeah. I mean I think that the the forty three thousand people that are not being hired within the VA, and I, I got it. You can give an excuse that they're not out there and they're not out there in the private sector too. But if you want them, you can go get them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think that's a good way to, to, to privatize if the service isn't offered or if you're offering telehealth for just general practitioner duties because you don't have a GP, that's a problem. And mm-hmm. so uh, absolutely, I think that there's you can say one thing and do another. And, and the, and the 43,000 vacancies is, is a problem and, and would tend to make you believe that people are saying one thing and do another. But nonetheless, I'm going to take people at their word. We're going to continue to push to make sure those positions are filled. And just the last question about telehealth since yep. you raised it. I mean, so that must be a kind of a, a going concern in Montana. Um, what do you hear about it? Are, do people like it or are people feeling like they're being shunted into it because there's no – a great doctor question. around. Or? I think it depends on the circumstance. The the one veteran that I talked to said, "Hey, I went, I went to Fort Harrison, and they gave me a, a, a telehealth for a, a basic general practitioner checkup. wasn't happy with it, and I don't blame him. I wouldn't have been happy either. On the other side of the coin, you can have a fo- somebody that's out in a, a rural slash frontier area that has mental health issues." Uh, that can go into a room and talk to a doc over a television set. And if you've got good high-speed Internet, uh, the doc on the other side can read a lot of stuff and find out how the person's doing um, by how they look and how they act. Uh, And it's very non-threatening, and it's very, very positive. And so I think that there's opportunities on both. I think the challenge in rural areas, I don't care if you're talking about Montana or any rural area in this country, it's if you have access to high-speed Internet because Mm -hmm. we're not there in a lot of areas. Right, right. So thank you so much, Senator Tester, for talking to us. And um, Well, it's an honor. Thank you very much. I appreciate what you guys are doing, and I appreciate uh, your advocacy for the veterans of this country.
Thank you. That's it. Thanks so much to Arthur Allen for guiding that conversation and this mini-series on the future of the VA. Thanks to all of you for tuning in. Our producer on this mini-series has been Annie Reese. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can help us by leaving a review. It's the best way to help new listeners find the show. Thanks, and we'll be back with a new episode of Pulse Check very soon.